But good to know. Good to find a good lawyer on day one. Yeah, yeah. just in case. Welcome to Cardboard and Wine, episode 12. I'm Mamie. And I'm Josh. Grab a glass, pull up a chair, and let's talk about some games. Today on the show, we're returning from Dice Tower Con 2018, and we'll talk about our favorite and less favorite games we played. Stay tuned. All right, Josh, I noticed that we don't have wine today on the show. Yeah, we have coffee <laughs> instead this week. We are, are literally just returning from Dice Tower Con. I think we've been back in our house maybe two hours. Yeah, we just got back, and you are turning around and flying back out tomorrow morning for work. Yes, at 5.30 a.m. For a week. Yeah, 5.30 a.m., that's not... No, that's, I don't, I'm not thinking about it yet. But we decided... We should turn around and record this while Dice Tower Con is fresh in our minds, but we are certainly not not in need of any wine but coffee because we did not get a whole lot of sleep for the last <laughs> no, four days. No, we are, we are a little bit sleep deprived, but for very, very good reason. I mean, it was a fabulous four days. Yeah, it was so great. I mean, what's not to love, really? You know, you are in the warm warm weather at a, at a cool resort with 3,000... Amazing people playing board games all day. I mean, how could you not enjoy that? Yeah, I mean, I, I wasn't totally sure what to expect. This was our first really big con, and before that, we had only been to our one kind of smaller local con, but it exceeded my expectations in, in every way possible. Yeah, so so that's what we're going to do today on this episode. This is going to be a little bit of a different episode. Instead of talking about our one feature game of, of the episode, what we're going to do instead is just do a recap of our experience at Dice Tower Con. And, and particularly, we're going to focus on new-to-us games that we played, because we played a pile of games. Yeah, I mean, I will say one of the best things about this convention was being able to try out a lot of games before we buy them. We tend to buy games and hope we like them based on what we've heard about them or read about them. And this really gave us a chance to try out I don't even know how many separate games we played, but to get a feel for them before we put that investment in. And so that was definitely one thing that was great about the con. Yeah, absolutely. So so what we're going to do is we are going to actually talk about 15 different games. As we were kind of making our notes and, and getting organized, we realized there were five games we played that we pretty much decided weren't for us and that we weren't going to purchase. There were five games we were a little bit on the fence that maybe we needed a few more plays to decide for sure. And then there were five games that we absolutely loved and decided we needed to add to our collection. Most of which we've already purchased or have on a wait list. <laughs> that might be true. But you know, Mamie, before we get into talking about some specific games, why don't we talk just for a few minutes about some of the things that we really enjoyed about the con that had nothing to do with games? I wouldn't say that it has nothing to do with games, but I would say that one of the best things, hands down, was the people that we met. Yeah, that is absolutely true. And I feel like a lot of times with things like this, people, it seems very trite, people will say, oh, it wasn't the thing we did, it was the people we were with. But you know, that was absolutely true. We met so many really amazing kind, funny, just fun people to be around and to play games with. None of the experience we had would have been as nearly as great without all those great people. 
you know, we had heard that Dice Tower Con was one of the more friendly and that the people there were all really, really nice. And it was easy to find people to teach you to play games. And it was so true. Yeah. Everyone that we interacted with was just super helpful, uh, super friendly. Even there would be there would be moments where if you were sitting at a table with a game that you hadn't played before and, and you were looking over the rule book, on several occasions, it was just a matter of minutes before someone would come out of nowhere and say, oh, are you trying to learn this game? Let me teach you this game really quick. And, and so helpful. That was so great. Yeah, I mean, big shout out to the gentleman who helped us figure out the copy of Orleans that we had. Um, the pieces were mislabeled, and he hadn't come along. I don't know that we'd have ever figured out that game. <laughs> no, that's totally true. Um, and, you know, also, it was just super fun to be... Uh, so the convention's at this hotel resort in Orlando, Florida. And, you know, there are several buildings and, and restaurants and a big pool area and then the convention center, which is attached. Everything's easy walking distance. But it was just, I found it to be such a fun experience to be walking around this hotel resort and just seeing all these people everywhere carrying around board games I mean, <laughs> or, a- or playing board games in the lobby of the hotel or at the restaurant or by the pool. Or, I mean, it wasn't just in the convention center that people were playing games, but there were literally people every square inch of this hotel playing games, which was, I thought was fantastic. Yeah, I mean, it was amazing. And it's funny, you know, it was at this beautiful resort and we took our swimsuits and we had these ideas, you know, that we would get Ubers and go to dinner and we would go lay by the pool. And Honestly, the gaming was so fun that we didn't do any of those things. We ate all of our meals. We didn't leave the resort property for the four days that we were there because we just wanted to get back to to gaming and to hanging out with the people that were there. Yeah, and I'm not sure that we actually ate three proper meals a day. (laughs) Any of the days we were, maybe one of the days we were there. The guidelines are six hours of sleep, two meals a day, and one shower a day. And I think we probably met that. I'm not sure about the six hours of sleep. Okay, well, let's not talk about it. I mean, the only bad thing was that we were sleep deprived. But I mean, it was a fabulous opportunity. And we met some great people. I mean, you know, one of my favorite memories from the con is one of the big events the first night is a game show. And the audience gets into teams of six or seven people and they ask all these board game related trivia questions. And our team, Team Austin, was the winner. Yeah, shout out if Austin is listening. He certainly carried our team. Yeah, uh, he was the ringer. Yeah, he... I don't think I've met a guy with more widespread board game knowledge than that guy. It was amazing. And because of that game, um, we met some great people. I mean, one of the couples that was in our team, another new to Dice Tower Con couple, Shaylin and Paul, and we ended up taking a game back after that and playing with them and meeting up with them several times over the next few days of the con and, and playing games with them. Yeah, that was super great. That was first night that really spearheaded a few friends that we we got to hang out with and play games with for the next few days. And Mamie, you met up with um, the Analog Gamer Girls. I did. It's funny. We didn't uh, the we didn't play a game that first night that we were there together, but we did meet up and it was so nice to get to meet some of them in person. And then the next day, uh, I was demoing Reef and one of the women that I met happened to walk by and I grabbed her and pulled her in and we demoed Reef together. So it was just so nice to kind of seed the conference with those people that we already knew. Yeah, and, and even though there were 3,000 people there, which seems like a lot on one level, we found that you know people we met early on in the con, we would run into time and time again. It wasn't so big that you didn't bump into two friendly folks that you had met previously. 
So the other thing that I thought was really fun about this con was getting to meet and interact with a lot of people that we really love and respect in the board game community, um, whether they're game designers or other podcasters or media people within the board game community. So for example, getting to, you know, to meet some of the Dice Tower folks, uh, but also participating in the the Heavy Cardboard Meetup, which is a, a podcast that, that we really love. And, and that was really awesome. That was actually just last night. We had the Heavy Cardboard Meetup and big fans of, of Edward and Amanda. And it was super cool to get to sit around, um, have a drink and, and chat with them. And it was just such a relaxed environment. I mean, it wasn't, you know, them on stage in a panel. It was sitting in a bar with a drink and sitting around a table chatting, which was just such a really cool experience. I mean, I also got to meet Crystal from Board Game Blitz and admire her amazing rainbow meeple dress. Were you with me when I ran into her? And Yeah, it was pretty fabulous. I, I, yeah, I really have to figure out how to, how to get my hands on one of those. It was beautiful. Maybe you can get a cardboard and wine dress. Oh, with our meeples? Maybe so. Oh, I have to look into that. But yeah, so, you know, we're at the meetup and, and we're sitting around and playing a game. Or I was playing a game. I think you were over, over chatting, Mamie. And, and somehow the game Sagrada just came up in passing in conversation. And, and then Edward actually mentioned, he said, oh, that guy sitting there at the bar, that's Daryl. He's the designer of Sagrada. And he was sitting there <laughs> talking to Rob Davio, who is the, uh, one of the designers of Pandemic Legacy and Downforce. Some of the other games we, we really enjoy are sitting right there uh, next to us. So it was really cool to actually get to go over and chat with them and, and actually tell these designers who make games that are a big part of our lives, that we play with each other, with our friends, and with our family just say thank you. You know, we really appreciate the work that you do. And, you know, I want to say all of these designers that, that we met were so kind and so friendly. And as if we didn't love these games enough already, now every time I play these games, I'm going to, you know, see the face and think about these really nice people who are actually behind this design. Because I think sometimes we forget that, that they're, these are people who come up with all these really interesting ideas and themes and mechanisms. And it's their creativity that, provides so much enjoyment and allows us to, to even do these things that we enjoy doing with so much of our free time. You should definitely tell them about your Reef demo experience. Yeah, so I would say the hot game of the con for sure was Reef. And so Reef is by Plan B Games, which is the company that did games like Azul and Century Spice Road. So really popular games over the last year or two. So anyway, the big game that was coming out very soon from designer Emerson Matsuchi, um, who is also the designer of Century Spice Road, is Reef. I had seen some photos and read a little bit about the game, so we were interested in possibly trying to get our hands on it because we knew that Plan B Games was bringing some number of copies to Dice Tower Con. So on Wednesday, the first day of the con, the ex the exhibit hall was supposed to open at noon. We got in line and we were pretty much towards the front of the line. There wasn't a huge line, 10 to 12, when we got in line. Um, the line quickly became huge. So anyway, uh, they opened the doors, and due to some poor planning on our part of not <laughs> researching ahead... We went right instead of left. Yeah, we took a right instead of a left, and the Plan B games booth was at the left side of the hall. However, we were still, I would say, would you say maybe 85% of the people coming through the door 
were going to the plan B table to try to get Reef. Definitely. I mean, that was the game that people were trying to get their hands on right at the start of the con. Yeah. So and we, we did pretty well. I mean, we got in line. We were maybe... It was probably 12 or 5 when we got in line. Right. And so, you know, we're in line and they're, you know, giving out Reef and we're feeling good. Like, oh, this is great. Until we get right up to the table and there's one person ahead of us who says, I'd like a copy of Reef. And we hear the gentleman behind the table say, that, oh, you're in luck. This is our last copy. <laughs> Dun dun! <laughs> I was like, "How was heartbreaking!" So disappointing. Is that? Uh, I would, I would rather have been like ten away than like literally the next person in line, the first person who did not get a copy. So that was a little bit of a bummer. But it's one of those things, like you know, you feel really disappointed in the moment, but then you think, you know what? Like this game's going to be everywhere in like three or four months. So. Yeah, we will definitely pick up a copy. Hopefully, we can find something else to play in the meantime. And we did get to play it. Um, we, you know, I went by and demoed it later that day, and then you went by and had an amazing demo experience. Yeah, so right. That leads into the story. I think this is what you were getting at. Um, so yeah, I don't, you were doing something else, Mamie, and I walked by the, the Plan B table at some other point in the con, and Nobody was at the reef table, and so I just kind of stopped by and said, hey, I'd, could I play the game? Would somebody show me the game? And it turns out Emerson Matsuchi was there, uh, the designer of the game, uh, was there at the booth and basically sat down, and, and he's the one who taught me the game. <laughs> so I played with him and, and Michael Young from Plan B Games, and the three of us uh, played a game of reef together, and, he, and Emerson won, by the way. I well, did. you would hope. Yeah, I did not do very well, but but how cool is that? And I'll say, Emerson Matsuchi, um, you know, he's got these. He's really on a roll. I mean, with Century Spice Road and and Reef coming out that is going to be huge, and and actually Eastern uh, Century Eastern Wonders that's coming out as well, which we got a copy of. He was the nicest guy, so humble and funny, sarcastic, <laughs> uh, but just so kind, so kind. So that was just so neat. And I fanboyed a little bit. I asked if we could get a photo together and. And he was kind enough to oblige. Anyway, that that was certainly a high point of the con for me, getting to meet Emerson Matsuchi and, and not only meet him, but play his game with him. Like, what a cool thing to do. Yeah, whatever I was doing, I probably regret that I was doing it instead of walking around with you, but that's okay. All right, Mamie. So that's a little bit about some of the people we met, uh, which was fantastic. But you know what? Let's talk about some of the games we played at Dice Tower Con 2018. Right. So as I said, one of the great things about the con was being able to try games and figure out what worked and what didn't for us. And so we're going to start off by walking through a few games that we tried and we're glad we tried because now we know they're not really for us and and we're not going to invest in those games. So the first game in this category is Ticket to Ride New York. Which Hilariously, we actually played laying in bed. It was an afternoon, and I really like a nap. And you really wanted to play a game, so we compromised. Yeah, so we checked it out of the library, and, and certainly there was no problem carrying it anywhere on the premises. And, and we knew it was... I mean, we, we enjoy Ticket to Ride. You know, it's fun. And this is... Suppose we like New York also. <laughs> so we thought, oh, we like Ticket to Ride and New York. And it has taxi cabs. It has taxi cabs. Super cute. And we'd heard it was a really quick kind of two great with two-player version of Ticket to Ride. So we thought, eh, we'll try that. And it was. I mean, it was a cute, quick, I mean, I think it maybe took us seven minutes to play. Yeah, seven or eight-minute game. Two-player version. But I think it was just too little and too simple. I mean, I, I can't imagine we'll ever actually play it because we have other Ticket to Ride. Yeah, you know, the only thing I could see 
us getting some use out of uh, this game is this would be a great way to ramp our kids to connect them from the kids version of Ticket to Ride because it's a super simple version of the map. So you could maybe use it to teach kids the bigger version of Ticket to Ride, maybe. I don't know that that's necessary. I think they can probably figure it out. Yeah, I think this one for me, though, was probably, uh, this one was definitely a pass. The next one. <laughs> the next one on our list. This is one that I would certainly add to my list, but I think Mamie's putting her foot down. Yeah, uh, is Giant Azul. So we were able to play um, this giant, it, it is what it sounds like, this giant version of Azul. And it is in, Azul. It is but Azul. giant. Yes. Uh, instead of your typical player boards, there are these neoprene mats, which are becoming really common and are really nice. But each tile is instead of being a one inch square, it's like a three inch square. I think I, I think I read everything is double size. Okay, so maybe it's a two inch so square. So a two, two by two inch square, which if you can kind of like, <laughs> you know, in your mind's eye or even in front of you, uh, estimate out what two inches, that's a pretty big tile. Yeah. I mean, the game boards, I think, would probably fit on our table, but just barely. And I mean, it's it's it was fun. It's hilarious to look at on the table. And it comes like in this little suitcase. Yeah. I mean, I think the price point and the like, fact that we already have Azul. I think it was like $300 yeah, or something. I, I just don't see that being something we add to our collection. But I will say, um, I really actually had no, uh, no desire to play Azul at the con because we play Azul a lot here. And so that's not a game I thought I would play at all. Until we saw Giant Azul, <laughs> then I suddenly had to play Giant Azul, and it totally met all my expectations. I mean, I think it's a great thing to play at a con, but I, it wouldn't be something we would buy. Yeah, that's true. So the third game on our list, uh, we picked up because it was on the list of games nominated for the best two-player game of 2017, and that was Fox in the Forest. And it's a two-player trick-taking card game. Yeah, really simple. It's a small deck. And actually the deck, uh, and I think the thing that interested us, one, was you're right, Mamie, we went to, uh, one, of, one of the things we went to in the evening was they had the Dice Tower Awards. And so this was a final nominee for Best Two-Player Game of 2017. And, you know, I thought a two-player trick-taking game is kind of interesting because a lot of times, you know, these like spades and hearts, you know, these four-player, really need four players. Um, but Fox in the Forest is a small deck. It's only three suits. And the cards are what, like 1 to 11? Right. And the thing that's that really is kind of distinctive about it is that all of the odd-numbered cards have sort of a special power that allows them to, to switch up the game a little bit. Yeah. And, you know, it was fun. Like, uh, we had a good time playing it, but really don't couldn't see us pulling that game off the shelf versus any other game. It was, it was a trick-taking game. Yeah, I had played it um, with someone else a couple of days before, and I it just felt really flat to me, and I wanted to make Josh play it because I was afraid I was missing something. And so we grabbed it, and we played it together, and I think you sort of felt the same thing. Yeah, I mean, we finished our game, and I was kind of like, neat. <laughs> <laughs> I think we played a couple games, and it was, yeah. it was fun. It was interesting, but not. there's so many other games out there that we decided that one wasn't for us. Another game we played, though, that... It, that we certainly enjoyed playing was Godfather Corleone's Empire. Yeah, so I mentioned earlier our friends Shaylin and Paul that we met, and this was Shaylin's favorite game. Like when I asked her what her favorite game was, this is what she said. And so we said, well, let's play it. Show it to us. Teach it to us. Yeah, and this game, I should mention too, it's a Godfather theme. 
um, but you you pull the board out and and the board is is somewhat of a map of of New York City that's split into these different regions with areas on the board where you can place figures and it looks really similar when I when I first saw it I thought there's a lot of similarity to blood, games like Blood Rage. Well, that's no surprise because the designer is the same. It's Eric Lang who did Blood Rage: Rising Sun. And it it is a worker placement game, just with that sort of Godfather um, mob theme. Mob theme, and I mean, it is cool. You get to take out your opponents and throw their bodies in the Hudson River. Yeah, you literally move your figures into the river and put them on their side. Um, one thing I will say about this game: well, one, we had a we had a lot of fun playing this game, um, but I think this game had one of the coolest components of any board game I have ever played. So. What what you're trying to do is you're actually throughout the game you're collecting money. A big part of what you're doing is and you're secreting it away, making money, and you're stashing it in your suitcase. And every player has a little tin. If you can think about like, like an Altoid tin, yeah, you have your own little tin that looks like a suitcase. So you stash your money in your suitcase. <laughs> oh, it's so cute. That little tin is so adorable. We posted a photo of it um, on our social media. But I thought that was just such a fun, fun mechanism. And, and you know, this was, this was a great game. I had a lot of fun playing it. I think it's just we have so many other worker placement games and sort of area control type games like Blood Rage. And I think the theme, while it was fun, it, it's not necessarily my favorite thing. You're and not so, a mafia person. Not necessarily. So I, I just don't feel like we would need it in our collection. If somebody else wanted to play, I'd be excited to play with them. But yeah. But we certainly had fun playing that one with Paul and Shayla, and that was that was a blast. And then the last one was Clans of Caledonia. So this is one that actually we had scheduled ahead of time. So they were running four simultaneous games of Clans of Caledonia on the first day of the con to teach it. And this is a game that looks like a lot of the things we like to do. <laughs> you know, you're collecting different resources and you're trying to build your little settlement in, in Scotland and you're making cheese and you're making whiskey and um, and there are these different markets that you're, that the players are influencing by b- buying and selling these different goods. So, and, and the artist of the game, uh, Clemens Franz, is the same artist who does a lot of games that we like, like Agricola and so it's very recognizable these little farmer <laughs> farmer art. Yeah, and we had a I mean we had a great experience learning that game. We had an awesome teacher that was somehow teaching. Yeah, Jean. Yeah, Jean was teaching four games at once and Jean was in charge. Like I was so impressed uh, by that she somehow was teaching four full tables of people. <laughs> it was amazing. In a fairly loud room. Uh, and was that was, yeah she she did a phenomenal job and definitely made it clear and uh, you know it was a fun game and we were playing with two people that we had just met at the con but they had been to the con quite a few times so they were able to give us some insider scoop yeah so we were playing with uh, John and Nicole um, who were from nearby in Florida attorneys both I attorneys in yeah Florida. so yeah, we were there with a whole group of attorneys that is so we were playing with, uh, with John and Nicole who were super great and. Oh yeah, I remember. I remember what happened now. So you know, we tallied up all the points at the end, and and I thought I had pulled out this really close victory over John, and then somehow he had tallied one thing wrong, and then oh, he yeah. pulled ahead of me by like a point. It was really close, and I mean, again, similar to The Godfather, we had a lot of fun playing the game, but it's so similar to so many other things that we have in our collection that I don't feel the need to go out and buy it. Yeah, there are a lot of similarities to. Um, 
Terra Mystica Gaia Project, um, and just just other Euro games like that, that while it was fun, I certainly had a great time, and the game looked really cool. You know, it didn't. I didn't have that wow factor. It didn't pop for me, and and that's one thing we've mentioned on the show in the past few weeks is really trying to be more discriminating when adding games to our collection, games that add something unique. And and Clans of Caledonia didn't seem to quite pass that bar. Um, although I will say, speaking of the bar, uh, <laughs> one thing, uh, Jonathan, who is a hoot, he did tell us on the first day if we got into any legal trouble during our visit in Florida. To, to give, give him, him a call. call. Yeah, he could help Luckily, us Luckily, we didn't have to take him up on but that. But good, good to know. Good to find a good lawyer on day one. Yeah, yeah, just in case. Yeah. So those are five of the games that we played that we decided weren't really for us and we weren't going to invest in. There were several that we played that we liked, but we're just not quite sure and we need a little more information before we make that decision. Yeah, and the first one um, was... I would say another extremely popular game at the con this year, uh, partially because, um, like Reef, it has isn't widely available yet. There were a few copies for sale that sold out quickly at the con. Uh, this was also about Plan B Games. This was Coimbra. Yeah, and we had, again, an amazing opportunity to learn Coimbra. Uh, we sat down for a demo in the Plan B Games booth, and I sat down expecting, you know, we 10 or 15 minutes and play the first part of the game. But it was kind of near the end of the day and there weren't a lot of people around. And so it was the end of the day and there weren't a lot of people around. So Matt Felici, who was demoing for Plan B, sat down and played a whole game through with us. Yeah, Matt was great. I mean, he was... Uh, he just did such a great job explaining the game and and playing through the game with us. We really enjoyed his company. Yeah, uh, definitely. Just as much as playing the game. But yeah, what did you think of Coimbra? Well, you know, we weren't totally sure after we had played with him, and we were very lucky to get our hands on another on a copy from the library and try it out again later with some other friends that we had met at the con, Carl and Ashley, who we played several games with, and who definitely seemed to have similar taste to us. And we figured out that we had done one thing wrong before, and that definitely made the game a little bit more interesting. It made the markets a little bit tighter, and it was fun. I, again, I, I think we want to play again before we know for sure. Yeah, so Coimbra is an interesting game. First of all, it's beautiful. The production, it beautiful. Um, all these Plan B games, the production is so nice. So the game just looks outstanding, and and ultimately, you're it's a dice drafting game, and so you have these however many players there are there are that many dice times three plus one so a four-player game there are 13 different colored dice and and probably the the most noticeable cool component in these games are these little frames i guess you would call them i think they're kind of like castles yeah they look kind of like castles but the dice your dice actually fit into them so when you draft your each person will draft three dice each round the game's uh, played over four rounds and the dice actually fit down in these little plastic castles pretty much perfectly and then go on your player board. And so I thought that was super cool. And I love dice and I love dice drafting. And and it's pretty fun because in the first part of the round, the value of the dice are important in determining which order you get to pick the card in each of the rows, but also completely determines the amount you pay for each of the cards in the rows. So you might really want one of the cards, so you pick a six so you're going to get to go first, but then you pay six bucks versus the person who is last to pick, who picked the one die, just pays one buck. So I thought that was cool. But then later in the round, 
they're all they're these four different tracks that that I guess really at, at their core um, are these four different types of currencies. There's gold and shields and victory points, victory points and movement and movement, right? And so at that point, it's the color of the die. So there are four colors of die that correspond to those four tracks. So the ones you actually get income from and that you move up on are dependent on the colors that you pick. So there are a lot of interesting decisions to be made in choosing those die that that were pretty interesting. Yeah, I mean, I will say the one thing that I really liked was that it's a game with a lot of interesting decisions, but it, because it is four rounds, I mean, it's not an extensive game. I mean, it, it Gameplay does not take much more than an hour, an hour and a half for four players. And so I liked that about it. I don't know. I, it's a fun game. I think we should check it out again before we decide to buy it. Yeah, definitely one that is certainly on our maybe list after we played a couple more times. I'm glad we got to play it that second time. I think it... We, we definitely got yeah, a little it, more insight into the game, that second play. Yeah, it got bumped from the no to the maybe list because of that second play. Another game that made it onto our maybe list is Fog of Love. And we picked this one up because, like Fox in the Forest, it was nominated for the best two-player game of 2017. And, man, it is an interesting game. Yeah, it was uh, really unique. So you are – basically, it's, it is a two-player game, and each person – creates a, a character, male or female, and you're given some cards with different traits that your character will have that the other person doesn't know about yet. And then you are also given a profession that your your character has. You get like two or three options and you pick the one. So you're kind of creating this person that you are going to be throughout the game. And then really you are playing, I think it's supposed to be sort of like a romantic comedy yeah it's a romantic comedy and it plays like a choose your own adventure you know you flip scenarios and each player chooses how they would respond to that scenario and then you kind of measure whether or not you agree and then certain things happen based on that agreement yeah and then you're trying to um so so it is a game though because you're trying to you have these things that are important to you as a character, as a person, and and these different types of traits have different colors and values that that you can shift one way or the other depending on the types of things that happen in your relationship. And so that guides you a little bit as far as when you answer these questions or like when you encounter these scenarios, you're not answering based on, well, what would Josh want to do? But what would this character I have created want to do? Yeah, the rule book was very, very clear. It said that multiple times that you are acting as this character, not as yourself, which I could see how that could become a little confusing. Full disclosure, we weren't able to play all the way through it. There's a starter deck that has like a tutorial that walks you through. But because somebody had already played that, they were out of order. And we got a little bit confused. So we weren't able to... Have, we didn't have time to go back and reset everything and play from the very beginning because there were so many other things we wanted to do. But it definitely piqued my interest. I think if it were totally just me, this would probably be on our yes list. Yeah, I think this is one that we, we could potentially have a lot of fun with. And, and I think, too, if you game a lot with a partner, this is one that would just be super fun to play. All right, so the next one is, this is another one. I think we were really going through this um, these nominees for the top two-player games because we play a lot of two-player games. Uh, this is the one. This is the game that actually won the Dice Tower Award this year for top two-player game, and that was Santorini. So, Mamie, what did you think about Santorini? So, Santorini was fun. It was more of a sort of chess match than I imagined it was going to be. You're building 
I guess it's the city of Santorini, uh, and you're trying to get your guy to be on top of the towers. And it's not easy because you're in direct competition. Yeah, you know, one thing I didn't expect from this game was how quickly it played. And I don't know if that's just because we were bad, <laughs> uh, which is possible. I made a mistake. No, but I, th- I think the I think this game could be one of those that you would sit down and maybe play three or five games. That some of them might go longer, but we had one game that I think you beat me in like two minutes. Um, but but one thing where the game I think would really shine over multiple plays is the rules are super simple, but you can get these different god cards that give you special abilities. And so you have to react to your opponent's special abilities and try to utilize your own. So um, it's one, we didn't get a chance to play it for long. Um, It didn't instantly blow us away, uh, but I think it's one that could be uh, certainly on our maybe list if we're looking for a different two-player experience. Yeah, the next one on the list is Lantern's Harvest Festival. And this is another really beautiful tile placement game. And I liked it, but similar to some of the games in the not list, I'm not sure it's enough different from things that we already have. Yeah, you know, I was drawn to it. The theme was cool. The uh, the art looked really looked really peaceful, and I was hoping to love it. It was fine. It was definitely fine, and it's one that I could see us having a, a good time playing, and it played quickly. Um, but it certainly it didn't blow me away. I would be interested in trying it with four players. Yeah, that is true. So we played it just the two of us, and and this is one that might do better with three or four, for sure. And then the, then the last one that this is a game that I have actually wanted for a long time, probably for over ten years. When I first got into board gaming, this is one I wanted that I initially did not get because a I certainly didn't have the money to buy it, <laughs> and b I didn't have the room to store it, and that is Pitch Car. And I think those are the same reasons why it's on our maybe list. We both had an opportunity to play it at the con, and it was fun. But for me, the size and the money still seem prohibitive. Yeah, so we played a 22-player pitch car tournament uh, that was run by Tom Vassell. I guess this is something he does at Dice Tower Con every year. And And that was insane. I was in third place for the whole first half. You were, and and then I caught up, and I think I was up as high as third place. I got stuck at the jump. The jump of doom uh, kind of <laughs> lived up to its name. Uh, but that was a blast, and I could really see having a lot of fun with that one with a lot of different types of people um, flicking those discs around a racetrack. Super fun. All right, Mamie, so we've talked about a lot of games that we played that maybe we enjoyed but but couldn't justify adding them to our collection and some that we felt we need to play a little bit more before we decide but there were absolutely some games that we really loved and decided we need in our collection and maybe a few that we have already put in an order for. So let's talk about those now. We're going to count these down from five to one. So here's the five games that were the hit of Dice Terracon for us. And these are not all new games, but new to us games. And, and we went through our list and I think we pretty much agreed on, on these games. Definitely. So why don't you start us out, Mamie? So number five is Emotep. And this game, when when we first looked at it, I was afraid this was going to be too similar to things that we already had played and was going to be another kind of long worker placement game. But I realized I didn't really know how it worked. And when we got into it, it's really a sort of resource allocation. When we got into it, it really was pretty much unlike anything I had ever played. I will say I I really knew nothing about this game, to be honest, but I think it was earlier in the con, 
I was talking to somebody and and someone was playing it on the table and and they mentioned, you know, Emotep is really my go-to game to play with newer players, but it's still a lot of fun for me to play. And I was like, oh, well, that sounds kind of cool. And they happened, I saw multiple boxes of it in the game library. So I was like, well, we'll try that. And the thing that drew me to it also was I saw the playtime said 40 minutes on the box because you see the box and you think, oh, just like you said, oh, is this one of these like generic, like, hour and a half euro cube pusher games but it's really not so first of all the cubes in this game are big like they're bigger <laughs> cubes they're it's not true these big wooden cubes and and they they represent stones so their colors like white and gray and brown and black um, but what you're doing is there are four boards four uh, i guess four four boards that represent different things you can do with these cubes in Egypt and there are four boats and so on your turn, it's really simple. You can either take more of your blocks of your color or you can load one onto a boat. Or if the boat is sufficiently full, you can take the boat and dock it into one of the boards. And so each of the boards represents building some type of structure for the most part. So either an obelisk where you're just stacking cubes of your colors up or a pyramid where you're building this little pyramid shape or a burial chamber where you lay the blocks out in a different way. But essentially what you're doing is you're trying to decide, and these boats don't just have your color. They've got other people's colors too, and they go into these structures in a very specific way that score points in a specific way. So there's really a lot of strategy in deciding which boat do I put my block on, and then when and do I or when do I dock that boat and unload it onto the different structures that's going to score more points for me than my opponent. Uh, I found it to be really interesting and really fascinating game. Yeah, I mean, I loved this game because it has going for it. The thing that I'm really into in games is it is a lot of complex decision making, but it's not difficult to learn or to teach, and it plays in about 45 minutes yeah, I mean, for we, new players. Uh, it was like half an hour for us, really. Yeah, I mean, um, that's amazing. And it was really, really fun and definitely a lot of decisions to make. Yeah, this is definitely one I could see us having fun with and our game group. So this will absolutely go on our, our purchase list. All right, Mamie, what was our number four? So yeah, number four is a game we've already talked about quite a bit, and that is Reef. And I, it has the same thing going for it. It's a lot of complex decision making, but it's kind of a beautiful, simplistic little game. So did this one live up to the hype for It you? did. It definitely lived up to the hype for me. And I'll say too, when, when I wanted us to rush and try to pick up a copy um, at the beginning, that was more based on, okay, this is the game everybody's talking about. It's the new hotness. I don't know if I'm going to like it, but let's just go for it and grab it. I believe you actually said, if we don't like it, we can sell it. Yeah, I know. We'll just sell it to anyone. They'll be super happy. So Reef, we mentioned, is by Emerson Matsuchi, who did Century Spice Road. And I can kind of see some similarities there, because really what you're doing is you're building a coral reef, and every player has their own little grid. And there are these four, I guess, four different colors of reef cubes. And they're different shapes, and they they stack. And they're sort of plasticky. They almost look like toys. Uh, but apparently they're these same Bakelite material that the Azul tiles are made out of. Uh, but on your turn, it's similar to Century Spice Road, there's a row of four cards that's out in front of all the players. And so on your turn, you can either pick up one of these cards to your hand, or you can play a card. And so when you play a card, on the top half, it's going to show um, a couple pieces of coral 
in the different colors and you get to take those corals and put them onto your board. You can either put them in an empty space or stack them on top of a pre-existing coral. And then on the bottom half of the card is what you are going to immediately score. So for example, maybe there is a green coral next to a purple coral and then and then it will indicate maybe that's worth two points. So for every green next to a purple you have on your board, you'll get two points. And so really the game just continues that way where you're picking up cards that you're using to add coral to your reef, but then also that dictates what you are scoring. And it's really fascinating gameplay. It's way more thinky and puzzly than I thought it would be just by looking at it. Well, and you know, I think that the puzzle is comes in how you place the coral, but also in whether or not you choose to use your turn to take a card or play a card. I found that to be one of the more challenging decisions. Like, how long term do I play? Do I collect cards before I start placing or do I do one and one? It was a lot of kind of interesting decisions. Yeah, definitely. And, and you know, since the same cards are available to all the players, I found on a few occasions, I thought, okay, I'll just wait and grab that card the next time around. And it seemed like almost always a card that I thought was good, at least somebody else thought was good. Right. And they would take it too. So super fun. Definitely looking forward to playing it. Actually hate that I really enjoyed it, which makes me even more bummed <laughs> that we, we missed out on getting a copy now. But we're going to have to be patient and, uh, and wait a couple months until it's more widely available. But we can definitely give our thumbs up that Reef is a great game, especially if you like games like Century Spice Road or Azul. You will probably like Reef. But beware, it definitely takes it uses some brain power. Yeah, and I think it's one of those games that we'll get better at as we play a little bit more. Good, because I am bad. I lost <laughs> both games I played very badly. So, to you and everyone else. <laughs> That's okay. Um, our number three game is Machikoro. And this was not a brand new game. It's a 2012 game, I believe. But it was a new-to-us game. Yeah, this is one that I see everywhere. I see it in my game store, and I know a lot of people play it. It's been a fairly popular game. And it's a card game where you are building a city. I think each player is a mayor of a city. And there are these cards, and there are two dice. And you basically start out with with two buildings in your city. I don't even remember. I think one was like a wheat field. Well, I guess that's not a building. <laughs> one is like a wheat field, and one was like a bakery or something like that. Yeah, I'm not sure what the starting cards were, but you start out with just a really sort of basic, it would probably not be a city, it'd be like a little town. And by rolling, you're going to increase your number of income, I guess, that you can then use to expand your city by collecting other cards that add new buildings to your city. And the, the interesting thing about these cards is that each card has a number at the top. And so it's all based on what you roll on the dice. When you roll a certain number, it activates a certain card. And some of them are direct income, right? You roll a three, you get a, a $1 or one coin. But some of them, if your opponent rolls a three, then they give you a coin. Or if they roll a three, you have to give them a coin. And so they're kind of different categories of different buildings that you can add to your town. And the the cards are just really interesting. And the box that we happened to grab at the con had not just the basic, but at least two or three expansions. And so I can imagine 
almost unlimited possibilities for how you could build your city. It was super fun. Yeah, this is a really simple game. Um, you know, you're, you're rolling dice and you're activating them and you're playing the odds, trying to build up your um, city faster than other people. Because ultimately it's a race. You're trying, you have these four kind of big landmark cards that are pretty expensive, um, but also have abilities. And the person to build those four things first is the winner. But yeah, it was just fun. It was just really, really fun game. It's not a, it's not a deep brain burner game, but I had a blast. We played it with two players and I could see it being even better with three and four players because, as you mentioned, Mamie, some of those cards were if any player rolls a three, you get an income. So the more players, you know, the more interesting that would be. Um, but that's one we decided to add to our collection, Machi Koro. Our number two is Steamrollers, which was, I think, outside of Yahtzee, my first ever roll and write game. That's right. Yeah, so Steamrollers... This this was one of the games that I was most looking forward to trying at the con. Mame, you know I like train games quite a bit. I've even been playing some 18xx games where you are are building track and buying stocks in these train companies. Steamrollers, instead of having a board with with hex train track tiles, every player gets a there's a pad of of paper where printed on it is a series of hexes, and so each player gets an identical one. And there's a board that matches the what's the picture that's drawn on that paper, and effectively you just you roll dice and you draft the the number of the die that you want. And depending on the die that you draft, you can either draw you actually draw the track onto your own little pad. So you're kind of building your train tracks and connecting cities and regions, um, and everyone's doing that differently with the goal of transporting these cubes that are on the board from one region or one city to a different city. I mean, you're trying to transport more cubes before your opponents do, and uh, you're trying to power up your engine so it can go farther, but all based on the rolls of these dice and you're you're riding them in on the pad. Super fun. Each region on the board has a number that corresponds with it, and so when you draft a die that has that number of pips, then you can take an action in that section of the board. So you can choose to draw your track. And one of the things that makes it interesting is along with the kind of standard dice that you're rolling, you roll a dice that tells you what type of track you can draw. So maybe you can draw a straight line track, maybe you can draw a gentle curving track, or maybe you can draw a sharp curve. And you don't always have all the options, and that definitely impacts the way you build your track, and your track ends up looking different than everybody else's, which is just really fun. Yeah, and I want to say, say too, we, we played this game with, uh, with Carl and Ashley. They were, how do, how do we even like so run into we them? we had <laughs> it in our hands. We were in the library looking at it and getting ready to check it out, and they had played before, and Ashley had just said, that's a great game, that, that we were going to enjoy it. And so we said, well, why don't you guys come play with us? And they came and taught it and played with us. Yeah, and that game was great, having somebody to, to teach us. Definitely. I um, had a great time playing with them. So great game and, and great time playing with them. And that is one that we definitely will buy and actually already did. Place yeah, I was going to say, I think we already ordered that one. <laughs> we already bought that one. Which leads us to our number one game of the con. So again, this is not a brand new game, but it is a new-to-us game. And so our number one game from the con was Orléans. This game blew me away, I gotta say. It was awesome. You know, I kept waiting, because we played this one later on. When did we play it? Yesterday, This was yesterday morning, 
And we almost gave up on it because we were struggling with the setup. And then that nice gentleman came along and helped us understand that some of the expansion pieces were labeled wrong. And so we just took all those out. Then as we were getting it set up the correct way, Carl and Ashley came by and ended up playing with us. And So maybe what we're saying is we just really like playing games with Carl and Ashley. Maybe. But... We buy all the games that we played with them. I'm glad we didn't play more games with them. <laughs> That's true. Uh, uh, but it was awesome. Yeah, and you know, this is one we almost we almost didn't play. Um, I had seen the game Altiplano in the library. That one, maybe you saw it too. It has an alpaca, alpaca on the front. It's, it's so adorable. adorable, and it really draws you in. You want to say, I want to play that game. That looks super cute. Um, so I was doing a little research the night before on some of the games we hadn't yet got to play to see, because I knew our time was was running short. So I wanted to really make a little bit of a plan for our last day to see what we wanted to try out. So I was researching Altiplano, and, you know, I, I have to be honest, I was watching a couple of videos, and it, it wasn't jumping out at me. Um, however, I saw that it was a follow-up to Orléans, and it had been compared. So I was watching, there's a lot of similarities to, to Orléans. They're both games called a bag builder game. So that led me to watch a video about Orléans, and within about five minutes, I was like, oh, this looks awesome. This looks like something we'll enjoy. I so, think I was asleep, but I'm glad that you watched that video. <laughs> I think that was like 2 a.m. when I watched that video. game the next day. But yeah, I mean, it was just so fun. So you are creating, I guess you're creating your own little town. And they're all on your player board. There are all these little circle outlines where you can recruit different types of of workers to your town to do different things. And so on the central board, there are places where you can recruit farmers or soldiers or scholars or monks who are like wild. But then on your player board, the combination of of workers that you have to use to get a new worker or to do other things, um, it's very specific. So maybe you need you need a farmer and a stonemason and a scholar. I don't actually remember or a boatsman to recruit a new worker. So you start out each turn at the bottom of your board with all your available workers. And you, everybody at the same time places them on their board. And then depending on which of the different actions you were able to satisfy the combination of workers, you then get to do those actions, which will either give you more workers or different types of workers. But the thing that's cool is those workers represented by these little circular discs, after they activate and you get new ones, they all go back into a bag. And so at the beginning of your turn, you draw out a certain number of workers at random from your bag and those are the workers you have available on the next turn. So that's what's called a bag-building game. And really, it's a lot like a deck-building game, uh, like a Dominion, except instead of cards, you're, u- you're using these, these discs that you're pulling out of a bag. Yeah, and I think that element of chance, you know, you toss all of those workers in the bag at the end of the round, and then you draft out of that bag the number of workers based on how many soldiers you have. Um, And so I pretty quickly was like, okay, I want to get that level up to the max so I can draft eight every time because I want as many as I can to work with. But when you've got a bag that's got 15 in it, you never know which eight you're going to get. And so you could really be planning, okay, I really need to sail up river on my next turn. But if you don't draft a boatsman, you're not sailing. And so that was super fun. And just that little bit of chance, I think, kicked it up a notch for me over other worker placement games that we have. Yeah, I think I really do like that feature of a game where you are forced to make the best out of what you're given. So you're right. I mean, you have some control in that 
you are completely dictating the proportion of different workers that are going into your bag. But you can't just completely strategize it out because you don't know what workers you're going to draw. And there are some ways to mitigate that um, because there are some ways you can actually, like in a deck building game, you can call your deck. There are usually ways you can get you rid can of... You can send some of your workers into retirement to fight the plague. Or yeah, you can send them into this <laughs> benefit. You can send them, yeah, to do other things and get them out of your bag. Uh, but anyway, regardless, this was probably the one game, maybe besides Steamrollers, where... About five minutes into the game, I got that giddy feeling like, this is awesome. Like, this game is super amazing. Yeah, I agree. I mean, as soon as we were playing, I was like, our game group is going to love this. Like, this is the kind of game that we all just really, really enjoy. So I can't wait for a copy to arrive. Yep. So our number one game of the con for us was Orleon. All right, Mamie. So that is a lot. We have This has been a little bit of a longer episode. We've talked about... Um, our experience at Dice Tower Con, and we talked about a lot of the games that were new to us that we played. We played a few other games that we had played before, but I thought we did a good job distilling four days of gaming <laughs> into about an hour. We talked about the things we love about the con, all the great people we met, all the chance to just play so many games. What do you think, Mamie? Do you think we'll go back? Definitely. I, I like am itching to go back. I'm already on Google looking for what kind of cons we have close by and you know, on the last day, yesterday, there was an announcement made over the loudspeaker about the Dice Tower cruise. And I looked over at Josh and he looked back at me and reminded me that we're going to Hawaii in January. So we're probably not going to do the Dice Tower cruise, but we will definitely make every effort we can to get back to the con next year. Yeah. And I'll point out that's a work trip to Hawaii. It's true. I'll be working hard. It's not a work trip for me. (laughs) It's a work trip for him. So Mamie, why don't we just to, just to put our, our cardboard and wine stamp on this, let's, uh, let's give Dice Tower Con our one to five wine rating treatment where a one is an empty bottle, sad, disappointing, needs to be thrown out. A two is a two buck chuck. If you don't have anything else, it'll do the trick. Three is like a wine in a box. There are things you like about it, things you don't like. Four is like a nice Pinot Noir, something you enjoy regularly. You've poured a glass. You would look forward to having some more in the future. Five is a big, bold Cabernet, only going to get better with age. How would you rate Dice Tower Con? I mean, totally a five, like a high five, like maybe a six. I mean, it is. it was so much fun. And I, I have these images of us continuing to go and building our community and then taking our children and then building community. I mean, one of the great things, which we haven't even mentioned because it wasn't necessarily as relevant to us, is there were a lot of kids there. You know, there were some families that had young kids, but there were a lot of kids in like older elementary and middle school age that were there playing games with their families, but also playing games with other kids that they had met up with there. And I could I can just see that being sort of part of our vacation life in our future. So, and, and there's a great pool. There is a great pool, although we never got in it. But definitely a five. Yeah, I mean, I don't think this is a surprise to anyone who's listened to the to the last this show over the last hour. Definitely a five. Uh, we could not have had a better time, and and we can't wait to go back. All right, guys, thanks for listening to Cardboard and Wine. For show notes, links, and other fun info about the games we discuss on the show, you can visit our website at cardboardandwine.com. If you have feedback on the show or suggestions for a future show, you can send us a tweet at Board and Wine. 
email us at cardboardandwine at gmail.com. Take a look at the games we've been playing on Instagram at cardboardandwine, or you can jump into our guild on Board Game Geek. You can also leave us a review on iTunes. We'd love to hear from you. Since we are a pretty new podcast, it'll help new listeners find the show. All right, Mamie. Until next time, cheers cheers and happy gaming. gaming.